0: Growth Igniter's Radio, Episode 18, CEO Lessons Learned from a Successful Company Reinvention. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next
1: level of growth. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now... Here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And with me is Scott Harper, my business partner and husband.
0: Good morning, Pam. It's great to be here with you again. And if this is your first time out there listening to Growth Igniter's radio, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for leaders to
1: take themselves and their companies to the next level of success. So, Pam, What's our topic for today? It's the story of a successful company reinvention. And this is an incredibly important story because no matter what the industry, there are times when every company hits high points, but also when they hit the low points due to the complexity of the business environment.
0: Oh, that's true. For example, this complexity includes things like changes in technology, new customer needs, new competition, regulatory issues, different business models, all sorts of things. And in pharma, of course, you've got ups and downs that go with R&D that are just part of the environment. The question is, however, what is it that you do when you're facing a low point? And how do you decide how to get back up to the top?
1: Exactly. And today we're going to be speaking with Dr. Francois Nader, a prominent leader in the biotech industry who faced that very situation. Between 2008 and 2015, he led NPS Pharmaceuticals through a dramatic reinvention to become a leading global biotechnology company focused on delivering innovative therapies to patients with rare diseases. This culminated in the sale of NPS to Shire Pharmaceuticals this past January for 5.2 billion. Billion dollars. Pretty impressive. It is. Dr. Nader currently serves as Chairman of the Board of Directors of Acceleron Pharma and is also Board Director at several emerging biotechnology companies. You can learn more about Dr. Nader's background by clicking on this episode under growthignitersradio.com. Francois, welcome to Growth Igniter's Radio.
2: Good morning, and thank you for having me on the show.
1: Well, it's our pleasure. Let's set the stage. Now, you started at NPS as chief medical and commercial officer, and then two years later, you became CEO. What was the challenge NPS faced when you became CEO?
2: Well, the major challenge that uh, NPS faced uh, when I joined was the fact uh, that the company was gearing up to launch um, its first product uh, in osteoporosis very large market and fortunately the regulatory process did not go exactly as uh, the company had predicted and the uh, company received an approvable letter from uh, the FDA which in our world means that the product could not be approved with what was submitted so with that uh, the company uh, got into a scratching halt Uh, trying to redefine its future, knowing that uh, the product could not be approved within the timelines that uh, the company originally planned from. And therefore, uh, a whole strategy and whole reinvention had to take place.
0: Wow. So how did you decide then what to do next? How, How did this reinvention get started?
2: Well, uh, it started by uh, something that uh, we ought to do in those situations is really stop and think uh, rather than jumping into action. And the stop and think for, for us uh, was really mainly geared towards assessing what the situation was that we ended up with. And if I look at the situation, it was pretty dire because the company had lost about 80% of its market value. We had a cash burn of around $140 million a year. We had a debt that was due uh, in about 18 months, $172 million, 435 employees in four sites, and frankly, uh, nothing to build the company from. So the uh, the first effort that we did was, again, putting my physician hat on, was really to stop the bleeding mm-hmm. uh, because the company could not sustain its current uh, status. And we took uh, immediate actions uh, to significantly reduce the cash burn.
1: Well, so there were so many things that were going on all at once. Where did you feel that you really needed to focus on absolutely first? So this is a triage situation.
2: The triage was focused really on two elements. One was to uh, work with the agency to see if there was any possibility to salvage uh, the product. And the second was, meanwhile, uh, as I as I said, we had to take immediate action to reduce our cash burn because this is a cash burn that we could not afford. Mm -hmm. So we approached it from three different perspectives. The first one was to unfortunately eliminate our commercial and medical organization and or related field operations. And in doing so, we reduced our headcount by 53%. So we took the company from about 435 FTEs down to 230, we had to look at our four sites and made the decision to uh, close one of the, th- one of the four sites, so leaving us with three. And the third element was, frankly, to put a halt on all our uh, activities that were not critical to the good functioning of the company. So these were the three measures, if you will, that we took uh, really, from day one, to make sure that we have enough time, or we create enough time, for us to decide and devise the next steps of our uh, of our strategy.
0: But strikingly, you decided that it was worth going forward; that you weren't going to fold the company. So there was something there that really gave you the feeling like we need to stick this out. There's something here that the world needs. Is is that right?
2: That's true, and that's uh, probably the, the key turnaround of the situation because one could think that, okay, we're done, and therefore we can uh, take the company down a different path, uh, which was, would have resulted into a, for all practical purposes, shutting down the company the way we knew it. But looking at our assets, it became very clear to me that uh, there, there could be uh, a road less traveled. And the road less traveled that we took was based on a concept that uh, I've always had in my life, uh, personal and professional, which says very simply that uh, to be successful, be different exceedingly well. And I had to pause and think as to, given the situation we were in and given the constraints of the marketplace, was there a way for us to still be successful by being different exceedingly well. And uh, fate has it that the two products that we had in our pipeline um, could be repurposed uh, into orphan indications, rare diseases, where there was no competition. And this was a major shift, a strategic shift of the organization, Mm -hmm. switching from large markets very neat, small, uh, high-valued, no-competition markets. And this was one of the three or four extremely important strategic decisions that we made to turn around the company.
1: Well, being different exceedingly well, I really like that. That's fabulous. And I think that's a fabulous place for us to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more with Dr. Francois Nader about successful company reinvention. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Growth Igniter's radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated on the web at businessadvance.com. We enable successful companies to accelerate to their next level of innovation and growth. If you like what you're hearing, spread the good word. Go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 18, and use the share links for Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at the top right of the page to tell your social media communities all about us.
1: Welcome back to Growth Igniter's radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. We're talking with Dr. Francois Nader, who, as CEO of NPS Pharmaceuticals, led their reinvention, culminating in a $5.2 billion sale to Shire Pharmaceuticals. Francois, how can people reach you with any questions?
2: They can reach me at uh, francois.nader at jesra.com, and jesra is spelled J-E-S-R-A
1: dot com. Okay, in the first segment, we discussed your transition to CEO and how you made decisions about how you and your leadership team were going to have to craft the, your company's reinvention to realize its full value. And we talked about being different exceedingly well. Let's go a bit deeper into the actual reinvention process. Now, in our own work with uh, clients going through all types of transformation and change, large and small, we've often seen that there's usually some kind of resistance or pushback. What was the biggest challenge that you faced in gaining support for the reinvention from stakeholders both inside and outside of your organization?
2: I think the biggest challenge we faced uh, was uh, to go down the path of creating a new company uh, rather than trying to fix the old one. And when we made this decision, it became very clear that we had to have a, a new uh, and exciting mission, uh, we needed a new and lofty vision, uh, we needed a, a crisp strategy, uh, we needed a new culture, new set of values, and, frankly, we needed a new and best people that would fit. At the same time, also, we needed to think about a methodical Disciplined execution. And uh, probably what we needed most was to communicate, 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 and communicate again, both internally and externally, because we faced a situation where the company was over 20 years old when we started the turnaround. And people, whether internal or external, all stakeholders had their own impression and understanding of the company and we had to change the mindset and the only way to do that was to go through the uh, process of communicating at all levels and with anyone who would want to hear our story
0: now you had obviously a wide variety of stakeholders with whom you had to communicate you were public at the time right so you had the investment community you had the folks inside you had your partners and suppliers Different people require different types of communication. How did you cultivate the communication so that it would fit each individual stakeholder group the way that they needed to hear it?
2: You're absolutely right. I mean, stakeholders require different ways of communication. What is constant, though, is the message. And our message was extremely simple, extremely clear. And the message was we are focused on late-stage development, we have prioritized our portfolio and going against two shots on goals with our two products in rare diseases where there is no competition. We are establishing a culture by design and we are adopting a global strategic outsourcing model. Really, these were the three or four messages that we repeated at nauseum internally and externally, mm-hmm. and they were simple. So probably the key message here in communication is even though the way we communicate might be different or nuanced, the content of the message has to be exceedingly simple, exceedingly clear, using very simple language, and be consistent. And this is the message that we carried over and over and over and over again. And with that, we're able to enroll our internal employees in the mission, and it became truly the mission of the company and the mission of everyone in the company, but we were also able to enroll our patients. And they became our best ambassadors because they were also enrolled in the mission. We were there for them, trying to find, develop, and put in their hands a treatment that would treat their condition.
1: So people became actually personally invested in helping your patients.
2: Exactly right, and in our business, in biopharma, if you put the patient at the center and the core of everything we do, the rest is easy, and this is exactly what we did. So we had a fantastic support from the patient advocacy community because we were working for them, really. I mean, that was the mm-hmm. ultimate intent of what we were doing, and uh, we were working on two conditions where there was either no or not good alternative. So they were waiting for us, and we were actively waiting for Mm -hmm. them, and this is why everything we did, we called it our mission, if you will, in the true sense of a mission. We had a start, we had an aim, we had a target, and all our efforts were, were focused on reaching the goal.
1: So it totally was out of the cerebral side and very much into the emotional side.
2: It has to be both. Uh, emotion is important because if a message doesn't carry does carry with it emotions, it doesn't really carry anything because a, a communication had to carry the urge to do something about it. And in our particular case, frankly, the emotion was a natural fit because we were there to uh, develop and um, and have two drugs approved for our patients. So it was at the same time, this in itself is necessary, but certainly not sufficient. What, uh, what was needed was the flawless execution and an extremely laser focus on all the steps that would take us to the finish line. And unfortunately, we had to, to make some tough decisions. So when we took the company originally from uh, 400 and some down to 230, we had to go to the next phase. And the next phase was to take the company down from 230 down to 17, as in 17, and build it back to 40. And the reason we had to do that, Scott, is exactly what you just said, because we needed the right people for the right mission at the right time. And for multiple different reasons, the people, the individuals we had on board before the crisis were not necessarily the people we needed going forward. And it was an extremely difficult decision. It was Mm -hmm. extremely painful for everyone involved, but we treated everyone with utmost respect and uh, gave them severance packages that were very generous, given that we did not have much money back then. But we the extra effort, and we were rewarded because many of them came back in due time and worked with us again, which was very, very rewarding personally, professionally.
1: So if you could sum it up, what was the major lesson that you learned from this whole experience?
2: There are a number of lessons uh, along the way. Um, One, uh, probably the the first in our business is to always keep the patients at the core and with really no exception. And if I extend beyond that, it's really keeping the focus on your client, on your customer uh, at all times. Uh, we are a company that, uh, that is very much values-driven, and this is extremely important because the values really uh, help us identify the how we mm-hmm. run our business, not necessarily the what. Um, as leaders, we have to be completely schizophrenic, and what I mean by mm-hmm. schizophrenic is not the clinical schizophrenic, but really the <laughs> business schizophrenic because we have to, be, to have this duality every day, every minute about being strategic. And being operational at the same time, and this is probably the hallmark of good leaders: individuals who can think strategy and act operationally. Um, what I also learned is it's a teamwork, and I had the privilege of surrounding myself with the right people. But at the same time, uh, it takes courage to change them quickly if wrong choices were made, and we made some wrong choices. But ultimately, I had a terrific, terrific around me that made my life so much easier. One thing I learned also is the fact that um, in any situation, especially in a turnaround where it's totally uncharted water, is really to seek help before it becomes needed. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are a bunch of people who could offer help, but often as leaders we think we know everything about everything, and it takes a humility, if you will, to look at others and seek for help. And uh, last but certainly not least, um, as leader, I encourage everyone to be themselves and try to have fun doing what they're doing because life is too short. And uh, we're on a mission, but the mission, as difficult as it is, has to generate an enjoyable journey. Um, Otherwise, it's probably not worth it.
1: So it sounds like so many lessons that you came away with from this experience. Well, we want to talk in the next segment with you about some actionable steps that people can take in their own companies. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Francois Nader. Stay tuned.
0: Is listening to Growth Igniter's radio providing you with new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas you can use to take your company to its next level of success? If so, imagine how much more you and your company could get from a highly customized in-person Growth Igniter's event as part of your next company offsite. Go to GrowthIgnitasRadio.com, click Contact Us at the bottom of the page, and we'll get back to you to explore how we can best help you achieve your most important goals.
1: Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, we've been talking with Dr. Francois Nader, a leader in the biotech industry who, as CEO of NPS Pharmaceuticals, led their reinvention, culminating in a $5.2 billion sale to Shire Pharmaceuticals. Francois, can you give us the uh, way in which people can contact you if they have any questions?
2: Sure. I can be reached at francois.nader at jesra.com. And again, jesra is j-e-s-r-a dot com.
1: Okay. Well, now, getting back to specifics, let's talk about some specific advice that you can give our listeners that they could immediately apply to their own organizations regarding company reinvention and transformation. What what would be the biggest thing that you would say they should do, just for starters?
2: For starters, I, I would suggest that instead of trying to fix the old, uh, try to create the new. And um, that's probably the biggest thing lesson I've learned throughout this process. And what I mean by that is uh, redefine the mission of your company, redefine what your core competencies are, redefine what the culture you want to be in the organization, change the people if need be, and also redefine the execution model. Uh, and rather than trying to fix the old, build something new.
1: So sometimes there's a point where you have to just say, this is enough, it's time to just push the button on reinvent.
2: That's correct, and the internal word we used was to reboot the
1: re-boot. system. Reboot?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really challenge your assumptions about the whole company and what it was about.
2: Exactly right, because in those situations, one thing that we tend to underestimate is the power of choice. There are always choices, and the choices are multiple. And at times, we box ourselves with one choice or one outcome, saying that's it. Well, if we use a little bit of creative thinking, there are multiple choices. Now, the challenge we have is not the availability of choices, is to make the right choice and stick with it. And that's, uh, that's exactly what, uh, what we need as leaders.
1: Absolutely. We're, we're right there with you on that. So what's another piece of advice then?
2: Um, the, probably the second piece is really a disciplined and methodical execution. Because here again, I mean, once we've made the choice, well, once we decided what the strategy is, uh, the proof is in the pudding. And the only way to create value is through execution. Uh, ideas per se do not create value. Putting ideas in action creates value. And this is what we try to do. And um, in our execution, we. The execution for us took multiple different facets. Uh, one that was critically important was the how, again, and we, we set a number of values for wh- that were our guide, guidelines, if you will, and the how we operate. Um, we, we were very methodical in planning uh, ahead of time and thinking through the execution, but also uh, we adopted a, an execution model that allowed us to have a lot of flexibility and it was a global strategic outsourcing model where we retain internally our core competencies in terms of subject matter experts and uh, project managers and contracted everything out because out there, there are individuals and companies that can do this particular segment of our business much better than we can and we relied on, on them and create very strong partnerships.
0: Now. We've seen that partnerships don't always run as smoothly as we want. What was it that you did that really made your partnerships work and create that strong execution?
2: We went through ups and downs, and we had successful partnerships and not-so-successful partnerships, but we learned our lessons. And frankly, the first lesson, and it sounds obvious, is select the right partner. And what I mean by that. The right partner is defined as someone with whom you can work. And I would say on top of the list is culture. Um, it has to be a partner that share your same culture, your same values. It has to be a partner that share in your mission. Um, they, it has to be a partner that is incentivized, actually, to deliver on the mission. It has to be a partner that is the right fit. And what I mean by that is, depending on the size of the company, the partner has to be of equivalent or, or corresponding size. And to be more specific, you need to be very important for your partners, you don't, but you cannot be too important or you cannot be not important enough. And this is the calibration. So if you're not important enough, obviously, they won't give you the attention that you need. If you're too important, the partner might be too small for you because you're growing, and they might not be growing at the same pace and you might outgrow them and frankly we had a situation like this where we outgrew our partner very quickly. So at the end of the day it's a human relationship between individuals and I truly believe that good partnership really rely on individuals who can communicate, who share the same values and share the same mission.
0: And constantly balance and readjust as as conditions change.
2: That's, that's exactly that's right. right. Yeah. And uh, through our um, through our history, we we changed our partners because they were they were right for us for a given segment, if you will, of our growth. And then we moved on. They moved on, and we we found good uh, good other
1: partners. Are there any other last thoughts about how CEOs can increase their ability to successfully reinvent and transform their companies?
2: The only one thing that I would add is. Uh, All this being said, uh, be opportunistic as well. So having a a mission, having a strategy, and having a set of values is needed, but we need to be opportunistic. And just to to give you a very quick example, uh, we had planned to go global in five years, and the opportunity came up within three months, literally, for us to buy back our products from our ex-U.S. partners. And we did. And within 18 months, we opened 18 global markets, and we transformed the company within 18 months from a New Jersey, U.S.-based company into a global company that was present in 18 markets worldwide because the opportunity was there, and it fit very nicely with our mission. It fit very nicely with our vision. It fit very nicely with our execution model, and we seized it.
1: In all of this, you always have to be on the lookout for a little bit of serendipity, too, it sounds like.
2: Exactly right.
1: Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. To find out who our guest will be next Wednesday, go to growthignitersradio.com and look in the sidebar for a schedule of upcoming episodes over the next few weeks.
0: Thanks for listening to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To check out resources related to today's conversation, share on social media, or open a conversation with us, go to growthignitersradio.com
1: and select episode 18. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to discuss with your team.
0: How can we be more attuned to changes in our business environment that signal a need for our own company's reinvention?